What's up? It's me. It's you. You're here. I'm here from the past. And today's episode is The Art of Seduction, Part 2. The final part, I assume. I don't know how long it'll take, but uh, we'll see. The Den of Lies. Part one was character types, and at the very end, I really briefly talked about the victim types. And today's episode is entirely about the steps. There's 24. In hearing them, they will all sound possible and plausible to include in a seduction, but not all of them are necessary. It's in phases. There's four of them. And so we'll get right into it. There's a lot of distinctions that could be made. But for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to keep it to really these three things. And that's, I will tell you what the step is and give you a short little summary or another angle of looking at what that step is really defined as because he has like a hard saying of what it is and then he gives more detail under it and then the rest of the chapter historical examples as with all of his books and then he interprets those and then he goes with a symbol and talks about the reversal so i'm going to briefly talk about the symbol that he gives for each of them to help you idealize what it is you're doing or to get a better understanding of the essence of what you're trying to achieve when you intend to do these things. And then the reversal, which is how you go about it from a backwards perspective or strategy. And also not doing it. He talks about the benefit or mostly con of not doing these things. So... Without further ado, here's the first one. I will have my book open and two different note sections because, damn it, I had to reread this book. So I took notes the first time I read it, and I took new notes to make sure that I'm getting you all the best information that I can. So you'll probably hear some pages rustling, and I'm going to try and get to all 24 notes Maybe back and forth, some pausing. Bear with me. It'll be well worth your time. A goal for next year is to get all of Robert Greene's books into podcast form. Which means I really need to reread two of his books. And maybe leave one or two of them out. (laughs) So, step one. Choose the right victim. Choose only those who will prove susceptible to your charms. Your perfect victim is often people who believe you have something they don't. And the greatest lack of all is excitement and adventure. So when you're choosing the right victim, you want there to be a natural inclination from you towards them. It should be somewhat natural. Like you don't have to try to want to be around them and there's no coercion on your part 
you're into them. There's some natural quality about them that attracts you. It'll make everything easier. But also, you need to know that who you are as a seducer will even be effective for them. Because say you pick up through signs uh, or language that they're into this certain type and you know what? You don't fit it. Then it's a lot of heartache and heartbreak and time on your part if you try and go down that road and seduce somebody who's ultimately not into you. They could be, you know, play your cards right for a, a brief carnal moment, but uh, as Robert Greene talks about, the seduction is very much a long game. And that's something I realized and learned more about on my second reading. And also, it's not just lust. It's not just the sexual, physical thing. Seduction is about love and having somebody idealize you, really. That is a huge part of seduction as well, is you creating this character that they idealize naturally, right? So it's a... It's a very easy role for you to fill. You just have to present yourself as the person who can fill that role. So pay attention to how people are unconsciously responding to you. Study body language. Notice their emotional rhythms. Are they constantly getting excited when they're around you and, you know, exhibiting those fluttery signs like blushing or... I guess that's kind of body language, but, you know, are they always so stoked to be around you? Does nothing else seem to matter? And yeah, are they physically closer to you? Are they physically showing signs that they're into you? Well, pay attention. Robert Greene says the repressed types are perfect victims for a deep seduction, which comes back later in another step. So that being step number one, the symbol for it, is big game. Lions are dangerous. To hunt them is to know the thrill of the risk. Leopards are clever and swift, offering the excitement of a difficult chase. Challenge is pleasure. And there's more to a lot of this. The chapters are entire chapters. I've given you a couple sentences. Now I think I'm good at finding those sentences and presenting the you know, cream of the crop of each chapter to you. But if this interests you, I'm giving you really not the majority contextually, but a really good chunk of understanding. So if it does interest you, get his book because they are so good. All of them. Lastly, for step one, the reversal. There is no possible reversal. There's nothing to be gained from trying to seduce a person who is close to you or cannot provide the pleasure and chase that you need. There's very much a mutual exchange. And I talked about that last time. In seduction. The victim wants to be seduced in many ways. Everybody does. And again, not always in sexual ways. They want to be enchanted. And you're giving that to them. But you're also gaining a lot from the exchange too. Having that mindset um, allows you to operate way more smoothly as well. Uh, there's no nefarious lingerings in your mind and you come off much more clean 
and like refined. It's not just uh, brutish, you know, like only after one thing. Step two, create a false sense of security. Approach indirectly. If you are too direct early on, you risk stirring up a resistance that will never be lowered. Haunt the periphery. See what's going on around the person. Just be seen by them. And plant those seeds. Playing a long-term game. In phase one, these first steps, you're cautious and indirect. You're at a distance, just you know, wading in the water. Not even wading yet. You're just kind of touching it, seeing if the temperature's right. Seeing if you can even swim in the water. You make the victim think they're making the first moves. And there's no anxiety, nervousness on their part. It just seems natural. If the conversation comes up, it's like you weren't really pushing for it. You were just like you, you kept running into them, but you calculate it. Not a, such a strict, hard, fast way, but you're calculating how things can happen between you and this person, and you egg it on. If you're too direct early on, you risk stirring up resistance. That's it. Too direct early on can stir up resistance. So hang out. Just be nice from a distance, you know, be a pleasure to be around without even trying to show that, if that makes sense, right? You're not putting up a front, you're just a cool person and they're constantly seeing in their social circle, you know, that night or throughout the weeks, the months, the year, they keep seeing you and you're just this positive person and they'll end up getting to know you they'll want to and even if they don't initiate it if they don't make those first steps they'll want it when you do the symbol here is the spider's web the spider finds an innocuous corner in which to spin its web it quietly sits in the corner waiting for its victims to come on their own and ensnare themselves in the web the reversal is that, uh, I guess I'll say it in his words without trying to parse it out in a different way. So it's this. In warfare, you need space to align your troops, room to maneuver. The more space you have, the more intricate your strategy can be. But sometimes it's better to overwhelm the enemy, giving them no time to think or react. So sometimes that direct approach is correct. Sometimes if you come on strong, if you're having a good night, if you've just won some award, you know, whatever it is, if you are in that position of power, of leverage, and you don't need to wait because it's in the air, because it's in you, because you can see it in them, seeing it in you, (laughs) go for it. Don't hesitate. Whatever is natural and easy at that point, you do. Step three, send mixed signals. A mix of qualities suggests depth. It's only powerful when the underlying quality is merely hinted at. So you don't have to put on your bells and whistles and say, I'm good and bad. I'm smart and 
you know, willing to get down and dirty with society. You know, I'm not just like a nerd. I'm intelligent, but I can also get down with the roughest of them who dropped out of high school and they figured it out their own way. Or I'm very conservative, but also, you know, there's a side of me that's extremely liberal. And you're just showing that it's there. You're not placid. There's layers. There's complexity to your character. And you've already got it. You've already got whatever it is. It got mentioned earlier. It'll get mentioned again. But the repressed types are so vulnerable to seduction. Everybody has repressive qualities, tendencies, attributes within them. That are, you know, these things are repressed and they want to come out. And if you let them out in a controlled way, if you can ride the bull when it bucks and still be in control, people appreciate that. They appreciate somebody who has a wild side, lets it show, and isn't, you know, a burden because of it. And it's seductive. People look at it, uh, you know, as it becomes like a, a position of strength. They'll look at everybody else versus you and be like, oh, man, look at that. thing." So, okay, let me move on to a fable that's related to all this. Oscar Wilde. As they talked to each other. Ah, here he is. Oscar Wilde talked about some steel fillings that had a sudden desire to visit a nearby magnet. As they talked to each other about this, they found themselves moving closer to the magnet without realizing how or why. Finally, they were swept into one mass to the magnet's side. Then the magnet smiled, for the steel fillings had no doubt at all, but that they were paying the visit of their own free will. It's these uh, opposites, you know, the mixed signals. And going back to the previous steps, it's like the magnet was the attractor. It did the work. The steel fillings ran to it. You know, they flew to it as fast as they could and thought it was their own accord. And so it was that much sweeter to them because, one, they chose it and they got what they were choosing. But ultimately, so did the other party. Now, one of the last things here. Symbol reversal. Symbol is the theater curtain. On stage, the curtain's heavy, deep red folds attract your eye with their hypnotic surface. But what really fascinates and draws you in is what you think might happen behind the curtain, the light peeking through, the suggestion of a secret, something about to happen. You feel the thrill of a voyeur about to watch a performance. The reversal is that the complexity you signal to other people will only affect them properly if they have the capacity to enjoy a mystery. Some people don't need the complexity. Some people are fine with the glitz and glam that's on the surface. They don't need anymore. They don't, they're not looking for that for whatever reason. He goes on to say in the reversal, some victims, particularly young girls, need no more than the glittering and spellbinding appearance. So... Do not bother creating depth for people who are insensitive to it. Number four. Appear to be an object of desire. Create triangles. We want what other people want. In all aspects of life. Desirability is a social illusion. 
people being desired is largely perceived by us as such because other people feel that way. And so if everybody wants something, we should probably want it for ourselves too. And that's where it comes in. If you can make a love triangle, whether real or fabricated, you know, where the third party is helping you out or you know they are attracted to you and you're just kind of stringing them along, you know, working person C so that you can get person B, then that's what you got to do. Or a crowd, you know. Everybody's got their attention on you. Whatever reason is, the more attention you can get from others of a wanting type, the more likely you are to attract somebody else who has no idea who you are. They can know nothing about you. But if they see that other people really want to be with you and, you know, spending that time, proximity with you, they'll want it. The symbol is the trophy. What makes you want to win the trophy and to see it as something worth having is the sight of other competitors. Some out of spirit of kindness may want to regard, reward everyone for trying, but the trophy then loses its value. It must represent not only your victory, but everyone else's defeat. Reversal. There isn't one. It is essential to appear desirable in the eyes of others. I'm going to slide this piece of paper out here for my own benefit now. All right. Five. And bear with me. I understand that, you know, I'm recanting much of what's written in the text. And so it's not as flowy as in other episodes. Even of the same nature, you know, me teaching from a book. But it's because what he's saying is so specific. It's like steps to build something, you know. You can't reinterpret it. It has to be what it is. And uh, without the image, although I'm sure your imagination is mighty fine and can do the job, uh, without all the context that's in the book and the imagery and the associated writings, um, you know, maybe it's harder for you to build a frame and, get the understanding necessary just as a listener so cheers to you if you're listening on i hope you're enjoying let's continue step five create a need stir anxiety and discontent a perfectly satisfied person cannot be seduced simple enough i'd say that makes sense cupid's arrow is a metaphor for this He shoots to create an aching wound. And that aching wound is really a lack. It's a hole. It's missing something. The space needs to be filled. And so when you create that need in another person, much like Cupid does between lovers, he initiates the possibility for somebody to come in and say, hey, I can fill this for you. And when that happens, you want to be with that person. Simple. That is the symbol, Cupid's arrow. The reversal. If you go too far in lowering the target's self-esteem, they may feel too insecure to enter into your seduction. So feel it out. Don't be too harsh. Let them know that, hey, you don't have what you want, and that's not good. 
I have it. But don't be so direct with your words. Don't say it outright. Don't say it over and over and over. Just plant that seed. We're in phase one. This is a long game. (laughs) Step six. Master the art of insinuation. Create a sub-language. Make everything suggestive. Don't say it directly. Do things to make them realize it on their own. Convey the message without words. And there are other ways to do it. This is used particularly in the early stages. You you want to make sure you're giving these insinuations when your target is most relaxed or distracted so they're not aware. It's bypassing their conscious thought. Much like the metal fillings in the magnet, they don't even realize what's going on. It's just happening. And by golly, they like it. (laughs) So that is step six. Just be a source of pleasure. That's a big one. Insinuating that if you're with me, life is better. Life is good. Not just better sometimes. Like, it's good. All the time. You equal pleasure. How do you convey that without saying it? There's a little riddle for you. I don't know. Figure it out. Do things. Seven. No, wait. I must give you this symbol. The symbol is the seed. That's it. Plant the seeds. The reversal. The danger in insinuation is your target may misread them. Particularly later on in seduction, it is best to communicate your ideas directly. Number seven, enter their spirit. Play by their rules, enjoy what they enjoy, adapt yourself to their moods. In doing so, you will lower their defenses. You're indulging the person's feelings and ideas and that's pleasurable we like people who are like us who are as smart as us and know about all those same things and are into what we're into because so many people aren't so many people uh, whether narcissism or ignorance are not so you know pleasant and cheery and lovely to be around for all the reasons we enjoy ourselves and enjoy the community that uh, we're into that being a part of it you know that person becomes like a community it's like oh they're they're like me we have this common unity this thing that we're both into (laughs) now let's see what the symbol is for number seven i can't believe we're only number seven by the way we're 23 minutes in number seven there's 24 I want to give you the best of the best information. I don't know. Might split it into two. The symbol. The haunter's mirror. Hunter's mirror. The lark is a savory bird, but difficult to catch. In the field, the hunter places a mirror on a stand. The lark lands in front of the glass, steps back and forth, entranced by its own moving image and by the imitative mating dance it sees performed before its eyes. Hypnotized, the bird loses all senses of its surroundings until the hunter's net traps it against the mirror. So sad. The reversal. 
You must have a strong underlying sense of your own identity. When the time comes, you will want to lead them into your spirit. It is only useful in the first phase of seduction. At some point, the dynamic must be reversed. Eight, last one for phase one. Create temptation. Find that fantasy and hint that you can lead them toward it. So this is similar to the previous ones. You know, particularly step... (laughs) Step five. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking at two different notes. One of the ways I styled my other notes is just not as clear as to where it stands, which maybe is a detriment. <laughs> well, you got to try new things. You got to you got to try taking notes a new way and you know, doing all these things. That's what this is all about this dang podcast. This is my first time doing a book series and I know I keep retracting from the subject matter. <laughs> but uh, it's been a while. I had to read this book. I just kind of want to talk. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Number 8, you're creating temptation. A glimpse of the pleasure to come. <laughs> to come. Aim at the childlike desires. People have a hard time resisting those things. That'll come up again. You show that the past path is grim and the future is abundant if it's with you. But keep it vague. Keep it vague. You know, don't spell it out exactly because that might not be exactly what they want. Or if you don't deliver exactly, then they become disenchanted quickly. So keep it vague, but let them know. Hey, I got what you need. The symbol, the apple in the Garden of Eden. The fruit looks deeply inviting and you are not supposed to eat of it. It is forbidden. But that's precisely why you think of it day and night. You see it, but cannot have it. And the only way to get rid of this temptation is to yield and taste the fruit. The reversal. The reverse of temptation is security or satisfaction. And both are fatal to seduction. If you cannot seduce, if you cannot tempt someone out of their habitual comfort, you cannot seduce them. So you gotta do it. You can't just choose not to. Phase two the mental. The first phase was setting the stage. Now, you're working on their mental facilities. How do you begin that? Well, step nine. Keep them in suspense. What comes next? Behave in a way that leaves them wondering. Number nine. Unpredictability is seen as a position of strength. The more somebody can predict who you are and what you're going to do, what you're going to say, the more power they feel they have over you. And so by not being that person, again, you create that image of complexity. So keep in mind that the child in us is the source of an elemental human pleasure. Being led by the person who knows where they're going it's fun. Follow the leader. We're always with our parents. 
And so one way to keep somebody in suspense is to lead them along in some way or somewhere down a path that you already know. And you can make it seem like any sort of way, you know. Let them know you know it. Let, don't let them know you know it. Uh, if you let them know you do know it, set it up so that it's crazier than, uh, you know, you first let on, but you can still handle it, you know. Make life exciting. Don't let them get bored. Don't let them get bored, man. <laughs> okay, let's see the symbol. Four. Number nine. The roller coaster. The car rises slowly to the top, then suddenly hurdles you into space, whips you to the side, throws you upside down in every possible direction. The riders laugh and scream. What thrills them is to let go, to grant control to someone else. What propels them... Who propels them in unexpected directions? What new thrill awaits them around the next corner? The reversal is that sometimes surprise can be unsurprising if you keep doing the same thing. Or it can get on somebody's nerves. If they're constantly in a state of suspense, you know, cortisol, they're not going to like that. So have it measured. Do it proper. Ten, use the demonic power of words to sow confusion. Say what they want to hear, whatever is pleasant. Loaded phrases, flattery, comfort their insecurities, sweet words and promises. Say whatever you they want to hear, whatever is pleasant. Superior way to get people to listen is humor and light touch. Again, not saying things directly. You're focusing more on the sound an evoked feeling over the literal words and meaning. It's about the feeling that your words induce rather than what you're actually saying. So you can say, stop, stop, stop. And they all have different degrees of emotional tone to them. And they make you feel a different way just by hearing them. That is called... What is it? Uh, can't remember. <laughs> diabolical. That's the diabolical method of speaking rather than symbolical. Symbolic, yes. Is that a word, symbolical? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this episode. <laughs> it's a long one, though. Man, we're in it together, and I'm glad you're here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'll digress for a moment, all right? Take a quick break. I'm just trying to have fun. I don't know what, you know, direction this podcast is ultimately going to go, so I want to enjoy it for myself. And... uh you know, I do take it all so seriously, but also want to step back and not take it too seriously. So let's get into it for the last time. We'll stick with it and I'll divulge my feelings on another podcast because we got to focus here. We're using the diabolical over the symbolic method of speaking because we're trying to get people to feel a certain way, not necessarily think 
words or a certain thought. So before you open your mouth, ask yourself this question. What can I say that will have the most pleasant effect on my listeners? Well, I'll say you some things you shouldn't say. Never argue, never defend yourself, and never accuse. Going back to being a source of pleasure. Just don't do those things. Don't argue, defend, or accuse. Because you put yourself in a weaker power. And people may never notice that you don't do those things. But their subconscious will associate you with better times. Some people like to wallow and complain. You're not a part of that group. You don't want people like that in your circle. And so people may never consciously notice it and say, oh yeah, this person never complains. They never do these things. But, again, they will associate you with the positives. Let's see. The key seductive language is not the words you utter or the seductive tone. The key is to see words not as a tool for communicating true thoughts and feelings, but for confusing, delighting, and intoxicating. Flattery is seductive language in its purest form. Flattery is a very good example of using diabolical language. You don't necessarily tell somebody they're so beautiful for them to think like, oh, I'm... I mean, yeah, it comes along with it, but it's like, What's more important than thinking, oh, I'm, my face looks nice. It's, oh, whoa, this feels good. Like, the feeling is what you're after. You get it. You already know at this point. I've sat on number 10 for such a long time. Move on. Oh, gosh. So let's get the symbol in reversal. The symbol, the clouds. In the clouds, it is hard to see the exact form of things. Everything seems a- vague. The imagination runs wild, seeing things that are not there. Your words must lift people into the clouds where it is easy for them to lose their way. The reversal is, well, really, he just talks about phase one ending. And he says, in phase one, you are cautious and indirect, as I stated. But now in phase two, the mental, you are moving more to the attack. What do you do next? Pay attention to detail. Number 11, learn to suggest the proper feelings and moods through details. You are now creating the environment where in which you're, again, suggesting and insinuating things to your target's thinking and feeling patterns through details. You're filling in all the blanks with all the things that are nice. You're not forgetting to have a smell that relaxes them or a certain sound that puts them in a calm mood, you know, warm foods to warm them up, all these things. The key to distracting people is to fill their eyes and ears with details, little rituals and colorful objects. Pay attention to details and you will assume a slower pace. Nobody likes somebody who's rushing. Ever, right? And imagine if you you watch movies, and every time you watch a movie, you get to finish it. 
and you meet somebody who can watch any movie they want, but they never get to see the ending. And when they're with you, they get to see the ending because you can watch any movie, you know, how you want. And so you guys choose a movie together. And right when it starts, they're like, oh, wait, let me see the ending. Rush, just fast forward. And then we can go, you know, we can do this again. We can watch the actual movie again. But I just really want to see how this ends. A person who can watch movies anytime is going to be like, well, dude, what are you freaking out about? Let's just watch the movie. But the other person who's never seen the ending of a movie and is dying for it is more likely to try and get there faster just to see what it's like, to experience it because they're so vacant. They don't know what it's like. They don't have that box filled off at all, ever, or super infrequently. And you get the analogy here. But it's in relationships. Slow down. Slower pace. It's more pleasant for you, even though it may not seem like it, and certainly for your victim. Do not ignore your voice, gestures, walk, clothes, or glances. Be attentive to all these things. All of you, all the time, in every way, is sending a message. What message are you sending? Make sure it's positive. Here's a quote. All a man really has to do is take it slowly, making seduction a ritual full of little things he has to do. Dot, dot, dot. And uh, it makes it so much more, like, effervescent. Maybe that's the right word. Or kingly. Your victim is enjoying it for that reason. So learn to suggest the proper feelings and moods through details. Again, Robert Greene states that a young girl's senses are her most vulnerable point. Never tell someone. Your looks and gestures are a more convincing language. You are learning how to insinuate. It comes up again and again. The symbol here is the banquet. A feast has been prepared in your honor. The reversal? There isn't one. You've got to attend to the details. It's important. And it, uh, imagine if you like saw a human, but they had no outline. Like there was, they were just blurry. I don't know. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like there's no definition to the end of the beginning. The details are important. You know this. 12. Poeticize your presence. The slightest feeling of relief that you're not there and it's all over. Familiarity and overexposure will cause this reaction. So associate yourself with images and objects. And your victim will begin to see you through an idealized halo. This rarely happens early on, but at midpoint, it can. So be aware, be cautious. At all costs, you must embody something. Anything to avoid familiarity and commonness. You are an image and an idea to fantasize about. You're the bad boy. You are the, you know, nice preppy guy on a boat. You're the athlete. You're whatever. You embody something. You've poeticized your presence. You're associated with something that's seen positively or negatively. It could be the taboo. You could be like a womanizer. And so many girls 
will go. I mean, murderers, right? Killers get love letters. 13. Nope. Symbol. <laughs> oh, man. And we're, all, we're, we're halfway done. Can you believe it? The symbol is the halo. Slowly, when the target is alone, he or she begins to imagine a kind of faint glow around your head, formed by all the possible pleasures you might offer, the radiance of your charged presence, your noble qualities. The halo separates you from other people. The reversal would be to reveal everything about yourself, to be completely honest about your faults and virtues. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You've got to present it properly. If you're into some weird stuff or you've done some things and made some bad choices, being honest and upfront can be attractive as well. But, you know, maybe there's a line that you could end up crossing that you didn't realize was there. So it's really up to your victim. How do they feel about things? How into you are they already at the point when you divulge that stuff? And what propensities do they have? One thing may be like, oh, yeah, I mean, you made a bad choice, but it doesn't really bother me. And another thing might be like, whoa, yeah, maybe we should distance from each other. Thirteen, disarm through strategic weakness and vulnerability. If you seem enthralled and unable to control yourself, your actions look more natural. So seduction is a game of reducing suspicion and resistance. You're slowly bringing down that wall. It's like, you know, you build a wall brick by brick and seduction is like taking the wall down brick by brick without the other person noticing. And then they're like, oh, oh, you got me. Come on in, you know, raid the kingdom. Now, remember, what is natural to your character is inherently seductive. A vulnerability is often what's most seductive. Hopefully you've been able to tell at this point that many of the steps are related to the character types. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've heard this for the first time and you don't remember. Maybe you're refreshing and you do remember the character types. Or you're listening to one of these after another on a road trip and you just heard the character types. Or maybe... In any event, Some of these are related. And very much this way, number 13, disarming, is very much like the natural character. So, in saying that, this is a good point to say this. Not all of these steps are necessary. Not all of these steps can be used to their full potential by all of the seducer types. Some of the seducer types can use these steps very well. And they should use them every time. Also, you as an individual, regardless of what type, may be better off with or without some of these steps. I mean, include them as just the bio for this episode so you can kind of look at it more and see for yourself. Because I understand at a distance in time, you've probably already forgotten what step two and three and four are. So, you know, no worries. Having it written is very nice. This is so much a primer. I love this book. It's a great book. I wanted to do this as a series and doing it now. 
you know, I'm reevaluating how do I want to do the other Robert Greene books because they're very much this way. And a part of me feels like, oh, these episodes are, you know, just have a different feeling than the other ones and the amount of volume of information given, but also the way of giving it. And I know I said wouldn't digress anymore, but here we are. So you've done that, you've disarmed, you know, uh, you've done this thing. What's the symbol for it? How can you visualize this uh, disarming? It's the blemish. A beautiful face is a delight to look at, but if it is too perfect, it leaves us cold and even slightly intimidated. It is the little mole, the beauty mark, that makes the face human and lovable. So don't conceal all of your blemishes. You need them to soften your features and elicit tender feelings. Reversal. Timing is everything in seduction. You should always look for signs that your target is falling under your spell. A person falling in love tends to ignore the other person's weaknesses or see them as endearing. So, look for opportunities to disarm. Don't just try and disarm. Because <laughs> people are going to be like, What? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Where did that come from? But if it's in the moment, they're just going to brush it off and then they'll look back on it later the next day, next week. It's like, whoa, wow. They, you know, they were really candid with me. But we'll have stored the memory as a pleasant, positive, because you brought it up in such a, you know, nice way. Number 14. Confused desire and reality. Create the illusion that through you, they can live out their dreams. Start slowly. And I'm sure you've picked up right now. You're creating this image that you can tell your victim once. And uh, you're the person who can complete it. You're filling in their blanks. So the mind is two currents. It wants to believe things that are pleasurable, yet it has a self-protective need to be suspicious of people. If you start off too strong, too theatrical, you feed that suspicion. So go slow. Go slow. You're on the offensive now, but still taking it slow. Take it slow. And let's get the symbol for number 14 with only 10 more steps. Shangri-La. Everyone has a vision in their minds of a perfect place where people are kind and noble, where their dreams can be realized and their wishes fulfilled, where life is full of adventure and romance. Lead the target on a journey there. Give them a glimpse of Shangri-La through the mists of the mountain and they will fall in love. There is no reversal. 15. Isolate the victim. By slowly isolating your victim, you make them more vulnerable to your influence. Flood them with attention, take them to a far off place, pick a place intentionally, you know, that you know well to create that suspense, to fill in the details. You know, if it's somewhere that is conducive to romantic situations, ideas, feelings, all these things, we're still paying attention, right? The isolation should be gradual and disguised as pleasure. Oh, let's take this trip or... Oh, this thing's happening over there. Let's go over there and see it. And you just keep going further and further along. And the reason for that, the reason for so many other things too, is because, again, people have this almost cynical front, like looking out for themselves, 
too good to be true type thing. And uh, if you move too fast in any case, but in this one as well, you can create anxiety. And then the person will have a chance to, whoa, 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 get their grounding again and reevaluate where they ended up and how the hell am I so far away from home? I need to get back to it. Who's this weird person? They smell. So take it slow. Here's a quote from Sun Tzu. Put them in a spot where they have no place to go and they will die before fleeing. Reason you want to isolate is because people become more susceptible to your influence. They're more vulnerable to you when you're the only other person they know. If you go to another country and you say you go to Korea and you can speak Korean, they can't, and no one else there speaks English, you are now suddenly the most important person to them because you're the translator and you're somebody they can communicate with in English, you know. But it can be any location, you know. It, can, it doesn't have to be another country. It can be isolated in another room, in a house, you know. <clears throat> There's short-term, long-term, macro, micro implications for all of these. How do you seduce somebody in a short amount of time if that's all you got? Or if you've got years, how do you play that out? The, the biggest obstacles and worst enemies for you often is the victim's friends and family. They provide a voice of reason. By taking them out of their comfort zone and away from the people who can comfort them and make them see clearly, they won't see clearly, and they'll just see you. The symbol is the Pied Piper, a jolly fellow in his red and yellow cloak. He lures the children from their homes with the delightful sounds of his flute. Enchanted, they don't notice how far they are walking, how they are leaving their families behind. They don't even notice the cave he eventually leads them into and closes on them forever. The Riss, reversal here, the Riss, isolate somebody too quickly and they'll notice. They'll panic. Phase three. Whew. Here we go. Phase three. <laughs> Phase three. Let me turn my page here because we've moved on. Damn. Phase three is emotional. Love you if you're still here. Phase three is emotional. <laughs> 16. Prove yourself. One well-timed action that is self-sacrificing will so overwhelm their emotions. Conversely, spur others to prove themselves. So straight up, people want to see that you're willing to endure trials for them. People want to see you nut up or shut up when it comes to them. You got my back? Show me. Do this thing. You know, actions speak louder than words. Let me see it, poppy. Okay, this symbol here is uh, the tournament on the field with its bright pennants and comparison horses. The lady looks on the knights on as knights fight for her hand. She has heard them declare love on a bended knee, their endless songs and petty promises, but, you know. The knight she chooses must have blood on his face and few broken limbs. You gotta win in the tournament. The reversal is uh, every target sees things differently. So it doesn't always have to be physical. One person may really value physical prowess. And when they see you beat somebody up who's messing with them, they're like, oh yeah, it's you. You're my guy. You're my gal. 
whatever. Uh, but some don't. Some don't value that physical prowess. Some of them, it may be musical. So, you know, make an album form or something. Instead of writing a poem, which anybody can do, really, right? You make a whole album for them at the right point, right time. Don't freak them out. And they'll be like, whoa, they did all this for me. They must really like me. And that means a lot. When somebody does something for you, you know, you, you're grateful and that gratefulness is like carried over to them and you're into them more. 17. Effect a regression. Let me make sure. Yeah, 17. Effect a regression. <laughs> Pleasurable memories from earliest childhood are often unconsciously associated with a parental figure. Bring your target back to that point. Alternatively, you can regress too, letting them pay the role, play the role of the protective nursing parent. So there's three that were described in this chapter. Infantile. Smother with loving attention, no judgment. You're just the unconditional loving parent, and you're just giving them all they want, all that they never got because, but, um, because they never got it. And so you're giving it to them. And no judgment is huge. Throughout all of this, not judging somebody when they are them natural selves and they're goofy or they show you a part of them they don't show somebody else. Don't judge. Don't judge. The second is Oedipal. Oedipal? Oedipal? Somebody knows. And that's uh, more personal. It involves scolding and discipline. So in the first, it's kind of like your mommy. And you're just so full of affection and love. And the second is like you're the dad and you're reprimanding them. And hey, don't do that. And you're punished now. And uh, apparently that's what people are into nowadays, calling each other daddy and all this, you know, nonsense, all this non-Christian stuff out here. Three, ego ideal. Allow them to project their adolescent fantasies. So... Can't remember what that one is. Give me the pass here, right? And uh, the uh, only other option is to be the the baby, so they get the chance to do that. The little kid. In one instance, you're a loving or scolding parent, or you're the innocent baby, and they play the loving or scolding parent. I'm not really into this one. I don't know. Maybe it's my conscious mind trying to pretend. But uh, this one really doesn't strike me as <laughs> so appealing. But I get that some people are into that. And it leads to the next one. Let me give you the symbol first. The bed. Lying alone in bed, the child feels unprotected, afraid, and needy. In a nearby room, there's a parent's bed. It is large and forbidding. Sight of the things you are not supposed to know about. Give the seduced both feelings, helplessness, and transgression as you lay them into bed and put them to sleep. The reversal. To reverse the strategies of regression, the parties have to remain adults during the process. Being a mature and responsible adult is not a fantasy. Now, I get that it ha- doesn't have to be like, you know, child-parent, um, you know, romantic relationship that, who was it? Uh, that one psychologist said we are all vying for. Yeah, I can't remember his name. But uh, it seems that what he's pointing at is also that 
you're just childish again. And you're having a good time. You're not this burdened adult. And I can jive with that. So we'll leave it at that. All right, man. Let's go on to 18. Stir up the transgressive and taboo. Told you it related. People yearn to explore their dark side. True. Yes. Of course. Of course. What is forbidden is desired. Somehow you must make yourself seem forbidden. Or willing to partake in these forbidden acts. And the more illicit they are, the more pleasurable they are. You have this shared guilty memory and you're tighter because of it. And you're also somebody who they don't feel judged by when they indulge in these fantasies. For every deeply held value, there is a shadow side. You know, you hear about people donating to child abuse funds, but then they're like abusers themselves. So again, details. What's your target doing, not saying? Look for these little clues. 19, boom, symbol. The forest. Let's, let's get to it. The forest. The children are told not to go into the forest that lies just beyond in the safe confines of their home. There's no law there. Only wilderness, wild animals, and criminals. But the chance to explore, the alluring darkness, and the fact that it is prohibited are impossible to resist. And once inside, they want to go farther and farther. The reversal, the reversal would be to stay within the limits of acceptable behavior. Next on the list, 19. Use spiritual lures. Everyone has doubts and insecurities. If your seduction appeals exclusively to the physical, you will stir up these doubts and make your targets self-conscious. Instead, focus on something sublime and spiritual. Lost in a spiritual mist, the target will feel light and uninhibited. So, there it is. Similar to uh, leading them into the clouds, you bring them into the spiritual mist. You want to employ the spiritual strategy as close to the time for your bold move as possible. There's a quote, Ares longa, vida brevis. Art is long, life is short. Kind of like I suggested making an album for somebody. It creates this eternal thing that captures them in a positive light that's airy, fairy, beautiful. And uh, it's so nice to see. And in any sense, if you coat your seduction in a spiritual light, then uh, it's, it's, it's softer, it's easier, right? Let's get to the symbol here. The stars in the sky, objects of worship for centuries and symbols of the sublime and divine. In contemplating them, we are momentarily distracted from everything mundane and mortal. We feel lightness. Lift your target's minds up to the stars and they will not notice what is happening here on earth. Reversal. In some, it can arouse anxiety. You know, understanding your victim, where they're at, how they feel about religion and spirituality. Um, these sort of things of eternalizing, like I said, the album. Imagine if you just met somebody, you went on two dates with them, and then you gave them the album. They'd be like, um... Hey man, you know, 
you're committing a lot here and we just met so again the degree of intensity for that lure or that gift or whatever has to match where you are in this seduction and how your victim feels about things because sometimes pleasure is best when we know it's fleeting when it ends so we can enjoy it now knowing that we don't have to you know worry about it or anything later 20 mix pleasure with pain the lower the lows you create the greater the highs you have more fear you have more to fear by boring your targets than by shaking them up. Simple. Your seduction should never follow a simple course upward toward pleasure and harmony. The climax comes too soon, and without tension, there can be no release. The symbol here. I think does a very good job of giving you an idea of what that really means. And that is the precipice. At the edge of a cliff, people often feel lightheaded, both fearful and dizzy. For a moment, they can imagine themselves falling headlong. At the same time, a part of them is tempted. Lead your targets as close to the edge as possible, then pull them back. No thrill without fear. The reversal is... People who have recently experienced a lot of pain will flee. The technique best works, works best on those who have it easy. So if somebody's constantly in pain, constantly in that uh, pain body or, you know, stress, cortisol, anxiety, whatever these things, if you add more to it, they're not going to get down with it. I'm not interested in drama. But for some people who never experience it, giving that to them for the first time, they, uh, they can enjoy it. It's more of the spice to life. But if the dish is already spicy, don't keep throwing pepper in there. Now we go on to phase four. You've set the stage. You've worked on them mentally. You've worked on them emotionally. And now is what's considered end time. It's the final phase of things. And you're wrapping it up. And doing that properly is a big deal. What you're hearing with this book, you'll hear similar strategies, ideas, thoughts, patterns in the 48 Laws of Power and the 33 Strategies of War. There's many, many parallels. All's fair in love and war, right? So there are parallels between seduction and war. Much like my analogy of taking down a wall brick by brick, you are, in a way, overcoming that wall and laying siege to the castle, which is your person, your target, your victim. So the first step, the last of the four, four phase four, is 21, give them space to fall, the pursuer is pursued. Once they are under your spell, take a step back and they will start to come after you right right of course so this is a different strategy from phase 20 that one 20 is about making the person weak and dependent the pain and pleasure one you're putting them in a source of pain to make them realize that 
you have the upper hand, you're stronger, they're dependent upon you, and so they come running to you, begging for your forgiveness for a thing they may not have even done or done and you overreacted, but they see it as their fault anyways, and you know you were right to get so upset with them. This is different than that. 21 is active and aggressive. You're getting your person into the aggressive stance. You're making them make the moves. And some victims want that. Some victims are in the state of mind where they are the person who does that in relationships, always to initiate or to further, to deepen a relationship. And so if they haven't been doing that, if you don't give them the chance to explore it, to do it, to be that person, to switch sides, um, you know, the climax may not be as fulfilling to them. And in the same way, you this whole time have been very active in luring, in seducing. And so being chased is also very pleasurable. And so if you don't experience that, if you're always trying and doing and never receiving, then uh, you don't get the full experience of a seduction either. But Robert Greene says 20 and 21 cannot be combined. You have to know your victim type. So where do you stand? Where do they stand? Let's see. Robert Greene says, when you seem interested in someone but do not respond sexually, it is disturbing and presents a challenge. They will find a way to seduce you. Again, of course, we've all heard that joke where the girlfriend tries to heat things up and then the guy doesn't respond and she's like, uh, hello, excuse me, like, look at me. You always want me. You're always trying to grab at me. And now I'm trying to get you to grab at me and you don't want anything. And they just heat themselves up and then they, they want it more. They go after it more. <laughs> they get wild and crazy. Now, let's see the symbol and reversal. Symbol here is the pomegranate. Carefully cultivated and tended, the pomegranate begins to ripen. Do not gather it too early or force it off the stem. It will be hard and bitter. Let the fruit grow heavy and full of juice. Then stand back and it will fall on its own. That is when it is pulp is most delicious. The reversal. Use absence only when you are sure of the target's affection and never let it go on too long. It is most effective later in the seduction. Also, never create too much space. Make it measured in distance and in time. Emotionally cold, properly. Physically distant, properly. 22. Never force the physical. 22 is use physical lures. Never force the physical. Instead, infect your targets with heat. Lure them into lust. This is really about frame. Holding dominance in a dynamic and being the person who's leading the interaction. You've got it going on and people are adapting to your moods now. They want you more than ever. And so if you're happy, they become happy. If you're kind of calm, they will be very much the same way. This was an earlier step reversed where you were adapting to their moves. But at this point, they begin to adapt to your moves more and more. And so you initiate 
a heated encounter or moment with your victim by first feeling it in yourself and infecting them with that. Without saying, without doing much, they pick up on it and they start to emanate those vibes without you having to do much. So you want your target to read the cues from your body. You are are inviting your target to shed the burdens of civilization. Your confidence and ease will have more power to intoxicate them than alcohol. The key is to make the look short and to the point. Countess Limbo, similar with 21, let them make the moves. Get them to make the moves. The symbol here for 22 is the raft floating out to sea drifting with the current soon the shoreline disappears from sight and the two of you are alone the water invites you to forget all cares and worries to submerge yourself without anger or direction cut off from the past you give in to the drifting sensation and slowly lose all restraint reversal some people panic Using spiritual lures will help describe the increasingly physical nature of the seduction. Distracting, calming, easing, proper associations. Quell the resistance. 23. And here we are. At the end of the actives, 24 being a special step. 23 is master the art of the bold move. A moment has arrived... One person must go on the offensive, and it is you. Don't plan it. If they suspect it, take a step back, and then hit them with it. You don't want this to be calculated. You want it to be natural, and uh, it'll have that much more power when it's done that way. Struggle and resistance are positives, though. It shows that the emotions are engaged. So when they're happening, don't uh, fight so hard against them. Just kind of bend to that will for a moment and then come back. In this chapter, it talks about how women want to resist and then have to yield. By being bold, you give them an excuse to save mental and moral state frame. Women want to resist, have you respond properly, and then yield because you are a good boy. (laughs) You did the right thing. You made them feel better than they did before or what have you by doing or saying something or just responding with ease to the resistance or rejection and being like, oh, okay, that's not a problem. We don't have to do these things. And then suddenly it's like, okay, yep, we got to do these things. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. (laughs) Um, If you sense the victim expects it, take a step back. Do it in a moment that stands out. Of course, you want the climax to be climactic. And at that moment, you've already infected your target with whatever emotional mood is required. And that'll make it flow so smoothly. It's this natural thing. It was just fireworks, right? And it was lovely. Symbol here, the summer storm. The hot days follow one another with no end in sight. The earth is parched and dry. Then there comes a stillness in the air thick and oppressive, the calm before the storm. Suddenly, gusts of wind arrive and flashes of lightning, exciting and frightening, allowing no time to react or run for shelter. 
The rain comes and brings with it a sense of release at last. Reversal. If two people come together by mutual consent, that is not seduction. There is no reversal. That's an interesting statement. <sighs> you know, consent. What a, what a word to throw around. Especially at the end of this whole thing. You know, he's like, if you come together by consent, it's not good. <laughs> it's like, oh man. Uh, maybe this isn't the best book to be reading. Maybe I shouldn't have been talking about this. Maybe I'm... I'm the bad boy. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I get it totally. Um, I think it's just kind of being seduced. You know, it's not so nefarious. It's like you're giving somebody an experience, and at first they're not looking for it, but as it's happening, they're finding that it is something pleasurable and they want more and more. And so to go from not interested from a you know almost neutral point to interested with a, an attractive point or attraction point that's a nice shift to happen along the way so that's it those are the 23 steps 24 is to beware of the after effects danger follows seduction equals enchantment afterwards there's a disenchantment that happens and the key is to keep the moments together afterward in the same key you want it to continuously be pleasant you don't have to you know be striving for that same climax anymore if you don't want it uh, if the victim doesn't want it mutually you don't or whatever it is but keep the same key don't sh suddenly shift and be cold um, you know, you may be withdrawing a bit, but you're still the same person. And your attitudes and lightness and loveliness are still there. Fight against the inertia that happens afterwards. Maintain your mystery, maintain lightness, and avoid the slow burnout. So that relates to the symbol, which is embers. The remains of the fire on the morning after. Left to themselves, the embers will slowly die out. Not so good. Can be painful and messy. Do not leave the fire to chance into the elements. To put it out, douse it. Suffocate it, give it nothing to feed on. End it, cut it, right there. It might hurt more initially, but it is much better in the long run for both parties. To bring it back to life, fan it, stoke it until the blaze is anew. Only your constant attention and vigilance will keep it burning. The reversal. To keep a person enchanted, you will have to re-seduce them constantly. But you can allow a little bit of familiarity to creep in. So give them their desire to get to know you more. If you've gone to that next step, whatever it is, a person invariably will probably want to know more about you because they're like, who is this person I just did xyz with so there it is those are the steps they come in four phases and they each have a different uh, ma macro target so to say and then these are the micros there's many parallels between the laws between the books and so i invite you to check the book out for yourself it is very much a history book. He gives 
examples of each of these character types and steps as they've happened through time. And throughout the book, on the sides of the pages, he includes excerpts from stories or poems, quotes that relate to it. So there's a lot there to let you go further into the text, further into the ideas. And, um, you know, I may have skipped things that to me seemed like, of course, but to somebody else reading them, it might connect a dot that they haven't connected yet. So if you want to learn more about seduction as a, as a thing, you know, this book is it. If you want to learn how to do it more so, you got to get out there and try it. You can see in the description the writing of what each step is and you can, you know, meditate on it think about it mentally but really trying it and seeing where you stand with it and how other people respond to those will give you good ideas just being exposed to these things gave me more confidence in my relationships because I felt like I had tools that I understood how to use so not only were they something new on my belt but I knew exactly how to use them and really what would come about when they happened it also gives me defensive tools they can use worse both ways right i can use it as a sword or a shield so if somebody's using these things against me i can step back and say okay you know i don't have to get caught up in this they're doing number 18 on me and uh you know people a lot of times aren't doing these things consciously they may have been brought up in such a way that you know steps three four and seven are their go-to every time and of course they don't know they're doing any of these steps they don't know they're doing anything in this book they're just responding in a way that we see in society these steps much like the character types are archetypes the steps are archetypes and they play out over and over everybody's using them all the time and these are it he's identified them and laid it out for us so thank you robert green uh whenever you want to come on the podcast just email me be glad to do it and uh you know it'll be much better than (laughs) reading words so once we get robert green on here then that'll be it so again thank you if you made it to the end this is the longest episode and the first one i did of a series I'll probably do some more. I'll definitely do more of books, but uh, I'll be able to speak more freely and give my interpretation without having to worry about digressing too much or time or whatever. But with this one, the things are so specific and the ideas are uh, so intentionally said by Robert that uh, I wanted to give it as closely to quote as I could and I think I've done that I don't know how I feel about this episode and the previous one again it just has a certain feeling to it it feels more dense and um, I don't know the other ones now that I'm able to reflect were kind of like I don't want to use the word fun but maybe they're just more fun I don't know to convey the message maybe in preparing for it Um, 
listening to it. But uh, in any event, this is the last one of the year, 2020 at a close. It's been real. Some of you had me on your Spotify wrapped. That's awesome. I appreciate it. I guess it takes the both of us. Um, you know, I'm going to talk more about reflections and things probably in the next episode, which is going to be story time. I'm going to give you some experiences I had while I was on the road doing my work away because a lot of crazy stuff happened and it uh, some cool, some scary, some weird. And so I'll give that and uh, say a little bit more about my thoughts on where I'm at. But, uh, you know, that's what it is, how it is, and what it do, baby. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Adios.